Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and in this podcast, I will interview the people working in the data center sector and tell their stories. If you are working in the DC sector or you are looking to work in the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Inside Data Center podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jim Hart, CEO of Business Critical Solutions. Afternoon, Jim. Afternoon. Hope you're on. I'm well, thanks. So Jim's the first person to make a reappearance on the podcast. No match ball yet, though. <laughs> One more for the match ball. Yeah. Um, basically, I wanted to get you back on because a lot of conversations I have revolve around COVID, the impact of COVID, and you know what's it, what what impact did it have, and what impact will it have is is kind of the questions I get asked a lot. And obviously, I think your reports are great that you bring out, and I just thought it'd be good to take a look back a little bit, look back at what your clients were saying early last year in the report, and then yeah. obviously a look at what your latest report says about the future of the industry, really. Do you just want to give a quick introduction for those that don't know of who you are and also maybe just say a bit, a little bit about these reports and kind of what they do and, and why you create them? Okay, yes, certainly. Uh, so I am CEO of uh, Business Critical Solutions. Uh, we're an IT asset consultancy that specialises in the development and deployment of uh, data centres um, globally. Um, we are four and a half years old. Um, and, and going from strength to strength. Um, in terms of where we sit in the industry, we, we bridge that gap between clients and, as I say, the, the deployment strategies. In terms of the summary, um, that uh, sorry, the survey, that has been running now for nearly 15 years. Um, what we do is we go out to something in excess of, of 28 European countries. Uh, it covers over 3,000 respondents, and it asks questions uh, over a range of topics that specifically impact on, on data centres. Interestingly, and really probably the purpose of this podcast or the, the Genesis uh, discussion is that um, it was about this time last year that we sent out questions um, for our summer survey. So absolutely reflected at the time, what were the concerns and the issues facing clients and customers, say, across Europe, as the pandemic was unfolding. So the data we got back was obviously was, was very interesting and very, very different from previous uh, surveys. But what it did allow us to do was, was mine that data and understand um, the issues that clients were facing with respect to the, the, the previous 15 years and the differences therein. Yeah, exactly. And, and obviously going back to that report that we talked about, as you say, last summer, which seems like a lifetime ago, but... After the pandemic, new normal, new th- new thinking. I think was the was that yes. report. So, what were what were clients thinking at that stage? Obviously, you know, we were all a bit in a bit of shock, I guess, of, of what was happening and, and what were the clients saying to you at, at that point. I think the the overriding sentiment was one of as there was a realization or a creeping realization that this was very different. It's very different to kind of your normal business outages and your normal business disruptions, and therefore there was there was. Uh, a period where there was a, a realization, understanding of the scale, uh, the, the possible impacts that the pandemic could have, and and really trying to understand the extent of that impact and and the risks that, that brought, because this is something new, uh, certainly on a, on a global scale, um, and really unexperienced by this generation. Uh, you've had it in in, in local. Uh, outbreaks in in Asia and Africa, but a pandemic on this scale has just never been experienced. And that then realised that 
the realization came probably in about three three phases or as approached in three phases and the, and the first impact really was the safeguarding of employees what did this mean to our employees their well-being how would we operate in this new environment safely uh, and therefore the, the the new working practices came in place we had the home working edict etc then there was the the real look at kind of you know business operations so what was the mitigation strategies that we could put in place for for any potential financial impacts and the the operational exposure that then then give gave so again then extending that you, you're really looking at kind of the third stage of the thinking which was really actually a lot of our industries now are interconnected on a global scale and this has happened over kind of the last 10 20 years but that interconnection came into really sharp focus through the pandemic as, as borders were, were shutting down. What were the operational impacts or potential operational impacts on, on businesses from that point of view? And I think what you saw there really was probably a pause button for two to three months while people just took a step back, understood those impacts and how they could start plotting their way through the pandemic. And I think most of us thought at that stage that this would probably last for something like three to six months. That was kind of the, the message that was coming from the government at that time. But I think as we got into kind of four weeks in, it was, it was very, very apparent that this was going to be a, a longer term issue. So therefore, there had to be changes um, to the way we did business and the way we approach business. Yeah, it's a three weeks to flatten the curve period, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yes. <laughs> still 12 months later, still there. Um, yeah. I pulled out a few stats, just touch on the on that report, the initial one, just quickly before we move on to your new one. But obviously 21% of respondents were expecting an expansion in the next 12 months. Um, 50% of developers and investors were looking to expand over that period. So you could obviously see the hesitancy, I guess, and the, the the confusion of regards to, we don't really know, I suppose, what's going to happen. So we'll sit on the fence a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and really clients were being attacked from, from all ways. Was obviously, there's a top down from, from clients and customers because their businesses are also on hold and on pause. So there was that shock there was, you know, what pipeline will be converted, what work is coming in. And then there was the reverse pull, if you like, from kind of operational perspective was, well, if these projects do go ahead, how are we going to source them? How are we going to implement them, et cetera? And it was, it's, it's, it was a time where the pandemic really tested the, the ingenuity, the resilience and the flexibility of supply chains and, and the response to this. And I think there's, you know, there's a couple of statistics out there, 94%, I think it's Fortune 1000 companies, um, really experienced supply chain disruptions. And it, that's really started manifesting itself when China shut down. Obviously, a big manufacturing centre there, uh, which impacted on it. And, and 75% of companies had, a, had a, a negative or strongly negative impact on their business. And there was a, there was a number of things that happened. Obviously, there was the, the, the supply shock. We've mentioned the fact that, that China shut down in the first instance. And I think that was the real realisation that actually that interconnection that gave us all those efficiencies that we've been driving for in the previous 10 years was now a real Achilles heel. Then there was the demand shock. So there was, a, there was an element of stockpiling where you could. So bringing uh, in goods, stockpiling them up in order to, to service the supply chain as best as possible. And I think, again, after that initial kind of surge, there was then the this, this step back and there's that prioritization of actually what is it that we actually need to do 
in order to keep these projects going. And that's when we started to see a movement in supply chain strategies, that risk mitigation, appreciation, and how that was going to be put in place going forward. Yeah, and a few people have said to me on these podcasts, actually, some of the, the developers, that it's made them totally rethink their supply chain strategy to, you know, do I need to source that particular material from another country or can I actually, am I actually better off getting it locally in country? Maybe it will cost me a bit more, but realistically it's more chance of arriving on my site. And it is. And, and, and that's one of the key things I think that, that clients have been focused on in their supply chains is how they build that resilience in and get that flexibility and agility. And of course there, there are knock-on consequences as well. Uh, there are also advantages in, in having a locally supplied materials. Yes, they may cost a bit more, but then if you go to kind of the CSR aspects and the ESG aspects, then the carbon footprint reduces, etc. So I think the supply chain is, is now being viewed more holistically than just cost, cost, cost. So uh, that resilience absolutely needs to be built in going forward. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's definitely what I'm seeing from everyone I speak to. It's more about sourcing locally, reducing carbon footprint, et cetera, to try and, just like you say, just create that more resilient yeah. supply chain. So let's go forward now, fast forward um, nine months or whatever it was, to your the latest report that's just come out. So COVID and the lasting legacy, which... I think is a really, I've read the report a few times. It's a great report. and gives a real good insight into kind of what the industry is thinking now. Um, one point I wanted to touch on was, I think it was two thirds of respondents believe they'll see an increase in demand over the next 12 months. And previously it was 40%. So I think that shows the t- transition that's happened in the industry during that period. Yeah. What do you so think is driving that, that demand? So I think there's a, like anything else, there's a, there's a number of factors to this. There's 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 there's, there's structural factors in that. I think um, a recent survey said that uh, you know the average age of a data center is is kind of nine years old. We there's another survey saying that any data center over seven years old is now obsolete in the new age. We're starting to see a push through decommissioning of of older stock and bringing on newer stock and and that migration. So is, is that gradual trend and development there? There's also the I mentioned earlier on that there was a kind of a pause button pushed for probably about two or three months, and there's a there's a bow wave coming through uh, from that as projects re-energized and uh, and put back onto the market. So is 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 that kind of drive as well? In addition, obviously we've seen the impacts of home working, um, the requirement for you know cloud services, software as a service, etc., um, and and the availability of that. The increase in retail, uh, commerce, uh, electronically, gaming, video streaming, et cetera, et cetera. And that all requires, let's say, processing power and things of that nature. So going forward, there'll be more demand for that. That will absolutely all grow. And the solution to that, obviously, is, is something like the edge. So you'll see increases there. addition to that, you, you're starting to see the, the, the real impacts of smart cities and 5G the internet of things, the generation of that data. And it's not just about the, the data itself, but it's processing how that's managed. So again, that is that is driving demand as we go forward. So the, there's a number of underlying uh, trends there. And another one that comes into the mix actually is, is around about green and renewable power. Um, and again, you know, you look at where some of the some data centers are situated, the availability of, of renewable energy there is limited. And going forward, 
that is going to be even more critical. So again, that's, uh, factors such as that are having impacts as well. Yeah, there's been two reports in the last week, hasn't there? One on Scotland and one on Ireland about the the move of the data centres from the, the hubs to be closer to the renewable energy, yeah. which seems seems logical. Have you yeah. seen kind of regional nuances with regards to your findings, or do you think it's more of a holistic data centre view at the moment? Um, I think we're starting to see the beginnings of, of a more targeted approach. I mean, the, the, the Nordics have been a, a talking point for a number of years now, especially with the availability of renewable energy. They have the, 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 the tax incentives that they offer in terms of, of location. But I think this is going to become more and more critical uh, going forward. So I think the, you know areas like that that have the renewable energy, the, the decarbonisation credentials will come to the fore. Also, there's, there's the emergence of, of kind of what we call the tier two regions and tier two cities, and that's not denigrating them. Uh, it's just uh, kind of historical, the fact that we've had the flat um, cities, uh, which will still be strong and grow strong, but you're seeing the emergence of, of places like Milan, uh, which is in the news, there's regions of Spain that's, that's, that's been highly developed. And I think you'll see those starting to come through as well. So I think there's, there's, there'll always be the strength and growth in those tier one cities, but I think the, the emergence of these newer areas are going to accelerate. Um, and that is based on, say, you go back to the amount of generate, uh, generated data that, that there is and there is going to be, and the fact that there needs to be more local delivery and more local processing uh, within the data centres. Yeah, it's exactly what we're seeing as well. And one one element that I've seen quite a lot in the last six months is the impact it's had on the UK market. I think the UK market's kind of totally changed. You know, it's always been historically London centric, you know, Slough, M4 corridor, but and there seems to be a lot of new developments and new developers coming into the UK. And I know there's a strong pipeline at the moment, but do you think there's any reason for that? Is it related to Brexit? Is it related to pandemic, or is that just simply that? The UK needs more out of city data centres. Um, all of the above. <laughs> uh, the advent of the kind of the, the, the smart cities, as I've alluded to before. Um, yeah, I think with, with with Brexit, there there are GDPR issues there in terms of information storage and exchange, which will require kind of a two centre approach. I think absolutely with the the advent of of the smart cities, which are, are proliferating through the UK now. Again, we're going to need closer delivery uh, and closer processing um, for that data. Um, and also you, you talk there as well, is that the fact that, you know, data centers take up a lot of space and a lot of power. So the, the is trying to find that, you know, for a campus development, for example, uh, where that available power is and where it could be provided uh, on a new renewable basis is, is a challenge. But you're seeing, you know, more development now going in the likes of, of South Wales. You've mentioned Scotland, um, the, the kind of campus developments that are going out in kind of uh, south of the Midlands. So there is a, a, an underlying trend there that the, the, the bigger, the larger developments seem to be going outside of London. Yeah, exactly that. I think power is one of the main drivers of that, isn't it? Like you said. Yeah. Um, a couple of stats that I just pulled out of your report as well. It's going to tie into what we just said, but 90% of developer and investors have reported an increase in their real estate portfolio. 85% of developer and investors are expecting further expansion in the next 12 months. I think that shows all the listeners really kind of how far it's changed from 
whenever it was, March, April, May, yeah. to, to now, it's it's crazy kind of the mindset that's gone from, like you say, a pause to now a, we need to expand our portfolio. Yeah. And I think if you if you look at the, the overall research into the marketplace, I mean, last year, the European data centre market, over the next five years, uh, the, the forecast CAGR was around about 1.5%. You know, that I saw research data uh, last week that now has jumped that to to four percent. Um, and again, I I believe that's a fairly conservative estimate as well. Um, and I also believe the fact that it's it's based on more traditional models of deployment, so it doesn't necessarily take into account things like edge and how that will be rolled out. So I think there's 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 massive optimism in terms of the future of the data center sector. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget about 5G, Edge, IoT, everything like that as well that's, that's coming when you've got so much going on. It's a lot of these main drivers have not even hit the market yet, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, obviously, skill shortage, something that obviously I'm quite interested in and yeah. trying to trying to help manage that problem. But I took out some stats again from, from your report that 74% said there's shortages in design, 69% in build, 59% in operations. It's a problem that I don't think the pandemic's causes. It's just highlighted it again. But what do you think we can do as an industry to really try and help manage that challenge? It's, 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 it is a challenge. There's no denying that. And it's a long-term challenge. There is no short-term fixed. Yeah, exactly. And I totally agree. And it's going to take investment, not only at a government level, but from a business point of view as well. And we can do our bit with the apprenticeship schemes that we've put in place. We can do our bit with kind of looking for transferable skills and investing in that and bringing those across. Um, but we've really got to start advertising our industry, uh, be ambassadors for our industry, and really start attracting that talent in. I mean, historically, when I first started, we were always competing against the, the IT um, providers, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, et cetera. They were sexy, construction, not so much. However, the realisation is that if we don't do what we do, they don't exist. They're not there. So we, we are absolutely integral part of that IT ecosystem. And we don't shout loudly enough about it. We don't advertise that fact enough. We don't advertise the opportunities we can give people, uh, the diversity of work that we can give people, uh, and the development opportunities we can give people. So I think collectively as an industry, we've just got to be better ambassadors. Um, we've got to get out there. We've got to support education, higher education, further education. And we've got to be willing in, to invest in people, to develop the people, for them to grow where they need to grow to. Um, I think one of the things we do struggle with is, is flexible development programs that cater for people's needs. What we tend to do is have a, a fairly linear ladder-like progression. And we know in life, certainly if anything, the last year has taught us is that that's not the case. So I think we've 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 got to be a bit more innovative the way we go about that and the way we engage people and bring people through our industry. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I'm big on the exposure of it. I think that's the main driver for doing this and the main driver for a lot of my activities is to try and make the sector visible to everybody. But it's still, yeah, it's funny, I had a message this morning on LinkedIn from somebody who's a He's a young graduate asking me, how do I get into the data center industry? I really want to get into it. I'd love to do it, but I don't really know where to start to look. And that says it all to me. It's the people are out there that want to get into it, but it's just not visible enough. And I don't mean the industry. I mean the roots into it, which is something yeah. we really need to try and highlight. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, as I say, 
being ambassadors, getting out there, you know, taking the message to the road, if you like, will will help. Uh, but I also think that there's, there's an interesting thing there. How do we get into data centres? And historically, we've been quite conservative in about the people we take in. And, and, and we've been guilty of that as well. The first thing we look at is, is kind of track record because the first thing a client actually will ask you, have they done a data centre before? So I think we've got to be a bit more clever in terms of how we introduce people into the industry and how we, as I say, uh, support them and develop them through the industry so they can actually deliver what it is they set out to deliver. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's key to have some kind of education or training platform that people can do prior to getting into the industry as well. And I did what I recorded one of these last week with with Matt at CNET talking about the whole training and education package. Like I said, like genuinely, people don't know this education exists. Why do I have to ask people what what education there is for people to get into the industry? You know, it should be really visible, but yeah. we're definitely getting better. And, you know, like you say, and by people like you and, and others in the industry getting out there and spreading the message, it's only going to improve that. Um, and hopefully soon we'll actually be able to do it face to face as well. Yes, which will make which it would, Yeah, exactly, which would help. Yeah. Um, moving on from skills and another obviously key, key topic of conversation that I've found is, is government's involvement. Now, I've seen a big sort of switch over the last six months to, you know, there's all these digital infrastructure packages and we're going to push digital infrastructure. But do you think the governments will be more involved in the industry or do you think they'll make it harder or easier to develop data centres? Um, I think first and foremost, they need to put together a coherent strategy in terms of the whole uh, digitalization uh, going forward. Uh, there are a number of strands to it which seem to change depending on which way the weather's blowing. Uh, so I think there needs to be a coherent long-term strategy. And I read a report only a week ago saying that the, the current strategy, if, if not acted upon, was, was prone to failure. There's a, there's a number of ways that the government can obviously influence how we go forward and the impact certainly on our industry. Um, there's, there's, there's obviously the, the, the legislative in terms of you know, driving emissions, decarbonisation, those types of things. And that will give pause for thought on how we develop going forward and where we develop going forward. There's the the, the tax incentives. Um, you know, Ireland historically have had very attractive tax incentives to the bigger developers, um, the bigger tech companies. Um, and there's been talk through all the Brexit negotiations how... Britain would follow suit and we'd offer these incentives going forward. And I've not seen much evidence of those so far, has to be said. We've talked briefly about education um, and the education platforms and paths that we can get into the industry. Uh, and if you look at the, the vacancies across all STEM uh, type businesses, I mean, they're massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a good point as well. I was talking about with, um, again, on one of these recently about this is a STEM problem. It's not just a data center problem. You know, if we want more engineers or we want more scientists, and we need to, it needs to be led from STEM to get them into all industries. It's not you can't do it on your own. You know, no, absolutely not. And there's got to be a coherent approach as well. Uh, and the other thing that that's that that is there actually is the amount of data that government is now going to generate. You know, we've talked about smart cities. We've talked about digitization. Uh, and, and they are going to be inundated with data and how they manage that and how they interact with the industry is going to determine the, 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 
effectiveness of the smart cities going forward. So that needs to be taken into account as well. So government actually are in the heart of how we develop this industry going forward uh, and an instrumental in doing so. And, you know, every opportunity I'd urge them to engage with the industry, talk to the industry, the wider industry on how this can be done. Yeah, exactly. And we always end up back at the same point, I think, in a lot of these conversations around collaboration. It's always collaboration that solves the problems. No one can do it on their own. No one can solve the skills challenge. No one can solve the sustainability challenge. We just need to work together on all of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. At one point I took out from the report as well was that, you know, you said that the full impact of the pandemic won't hit in 2020 or will hit in 2022. What do you think that will be? That's quite a broad question, I realise, but (laughs) (laughs) it is. Um, I mean, my my point of view on this um, is that, as I say, you know, we've been in this a year now. The first three months was the step back. Um, The the intervening time really has been let's let's get everything operational. Let's get things up and running. We now have a period whereby we're starting to see some sense of normalisation and an approach. And I think this this coming year now will be taking stock of those lessons learned and then putting them into the operation. We've we've talked about the supply chain and how that could change and how that could look. We've talked about the fact that things have been on pause um, and that pause button will will come off at full throttle. uh, And it's how we're going to cope with that. And you look at the, the, the changing way in which we're using data, data is being processed. Uh, there's going to be a hell of a lot more requirement for things like HPCs, um, simply because of the processing requirements that are need, the, the analytics that's going to be required in terms of the operation of, of smart cities. And I think that's all going to come into the fore next year. We'll, we'll, we'll put strategies in place, we'll talk about it and we'll develop it this year. Uh, and I see this year really much more about getting on track and stabilisation after a period of... <laughs> Uh, what can only be described as tumult, um, yeah. but I've been, you know, I've been absolutely surprised pleasantly by the the whole approach that we've taken as a sector, as an industry, to what's happened. Uh, the way we've we've embraced that, we've provided the infrastructure to keep the country going, um, and we've delivered growth in times of, you know, absolutely unparalleled uncertainty. Um, so I think the, the agility and the resilience of the sector has been shown to its best. Um, and I think that will only be magnified going forward. And I, that's why I say I think that the full impact of, of the, the COVID-19 will be seen in 2022. Yeah, I 100% agree with that as well. I think the sector's done an amazing job in the last 12 months. You know, I've been speaking to people throughout this period that have probably worked, I don't know, 50% or double the amount of hours they, they normally work. And I don't think it's... it's not that it's not appreciated, but it's not seen. So it's yeah. good to, you know, good to highlight that fact that everyone in it has done an amazing job to keep these conversations going and keep businesses like mine working. So I appreciate yeah, it. <laughs> uh, one client asked me as well earlier today, funny enough, like, do you think there'll be a downturn? Can you see a downturn in this industry? And I don't mean in the next, I don't know, 12 months, but in the next five years, do you think there will be a slowdown or a downturn? I think if you look at all the projections and uh, look at the way that technology is evolving, um, obviously there's, there's 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 something that can come that can derail it all. But um, I think there's the there's there's strong evidence that the growth is sustainable. I also think that 
you know, the rate of change that we have in the industry is accelerating. Um, I think the past five years, I've seen more change in the industry than I did the previous 15 years. Um, not only that, we'll have new technologies coming on board. I mean, if you look at projections on edge, um, within five years' time, there'll be four to one ratio of edge deployments against traditional models. So the, 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 the industry will evolve. Um, I can't necessarily see a downturn because it is the heartbeat, it is the engine room of, of the economy. If you look at the way the economy operates, the, the data that's required, the analytics that are, that are going into it, the machine learning, the AI, it, it all underpins everything that we do, and not just at a kind of a business level, but a societal level as well. Um, will it evolve? Will it change? Yes, I think it will. Um, but I don't, I don't see a downturn though. No, and that's kind of where I went when I was asked the question today. I think it's, like I said earlier, it's hard to kind of visualise everything that's coming in from a data perspective, you know, yeah. autonomous driving, <laughs> digital currency, whatever it is, digital passports, if that happens, you know, whatever it is, there's so much coming in that's only going to drive the industry. Absolutely. And, and, and the nearest thing I can see to it was kind of the, the, the 2008 crash and the data center sector still powered through. It still expanded. It still grew. Um, and I can only see that demand increasing. No, I totally agree. So that's they're all my questions on the report. I normally ask everyone one question at the end, but I've already asked you that question. So I've come up with a new question <laughs> just, just for you. But I've, I've spoken to a few leaders on this podcast over the last 12 months. And one point that I'm really interested to know is kind of what's it been like for you, you know, in the last 12 months What's it been like leading a business in this industry and, and just leading the business in general, really? How have you coped with what we were talking about before we went online the last 12 months of this uh, this pandemic? I think first and foremost, I, I felt a, uh, an immense privilege in being able to lead um, the people in our business, the way they've reacted, the way they've coped um, with the, the whole uncertainty, the pandemic as a whole, the way they've they've worked with clients to keep their businesses going i've been supremely impressed with um, and it really has been a privilege from a personal point of view those first few weeks month or so you sat there thinking all right okay what is it we need to do where do we go and there's no roadmap there's there's no okay this is my risk mitigation i can take this off the shelf um and you look at that what's in front of you and then it was the the dawning if you like the fact that Actually, what we do is at the heartbeat of everything. It is the engine room of, of, of what it is. So we need to do everything in our powers to keep that going. And everybody I talked to within industry was actually on the same page and the same thought. And to be part of, to see that agility, um, the way that we reacted as an industry, again, I felt immensely proud of. It's presented challenges, no doubt about it, and a few sleepless nights. Um, as you'd expect, but I think the the opportunities that have come out of it has has been again one of the positive sides of the of the pandemic, if you like. Um, we we managed to to keep growing. Uh, we opened up a, a Frankfurt office, um, albeit we've not been able to visit it yet. <laughs> you think it's there anyway? <laughs> yeah, so we we know it's there. We've we, we've we've recruited into it, and uh, poor old Alex, who sits out there on her own. Uh, has not met the team in person yet, but we we will get to it, and and we continue to grow. We're looking at, at more diverse locations. Um, but as I say, I think 
first and foremost, from a learning point of view, is trust your people. Um, you know, if you have a good, solid business, you give them that framework to perform in, they will perform, they will react, um, and they will do you proud. No, definitely. And I don't think you'll have a period where you can learn so much about yourself and about your team than hopefully than what we've just had over the last year. It does give you that opportunity to sort of analyse everything, doesn't it? And I guess you kind of, you know, you can rely on it's that, it's that old adage. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed it won't happen again, but my suspicion is it will. Um, the way we, we, we treat the world uh, and the way we go about it, uh, I think this thing is, is probably inevitable again at some stage. But at least now we can have some form of, of reference point experience in how we go about it the next time. Yeah, definitely. And one final question is, have you, from the industry perspective, have you found more you know, leaders like yourself reach out to you? Have you been collaborating with other leaders in the industry during this period? I think certainly in terms of uh, that communication, um, there's been a lot more of that. And it's been around... <laughs> it's, it's, it's been like a support network if you like yeah that's why i was interested really to see if yeah. you, you kind of you have those conversations i have them in my industry so yeah. i'm just interested yeah no absolutely and and some some of the conversations you know we we it, it is about that support what you're experiencing because nobody's experienced it before and you shouldn't be afraid in this day and age to reach out with those kind of questions um and I think that engagement and that communication has certainly helped me in a positive way. It's it's, it's made me realise that I'm not on my own as a leader, um, and and everybody is facing those those similar problems, those similar doubts, uh, and you know struggling with those those challenges in in the first degree. So, I think that's that has been incredibly helpful, um, and it has broken down barriers. Yeah, and hopefully things like that will continue as well. That's a, that's a good point, isn't it? If we can take positives out of it, then all yeah. the better. Absolutely. Excellent. I really enjoyed that, Jim. I think hopefully that gives everyone a good image of kind of where we were and where we are now. We're still busy. <laughs> we've done we've done an amazing job during that period and, and hopefully it will continue over the next, you know, 12 to 24 months and we'll see where we are at that point. And then we can get you on for you. For your hat trick ball and see <laughs> i look forward to it see where we're at then well i appreciate your time jim thanks for your time yeah. once again and we'll speak again soon okay thank see you, you jim. take Cheers. care Bye.